TA up till now is that it's very located on the human, understandably, you know, it's come from the psychological realm. And in terms of what we're interested in doing is definitely widening out into this ecological uh, environmental domain and including that in our not only our consideration of you know who we are in the world but also our ways of working we work on the basis that this world is enough it has always been enough there is more than we could ever need to be sufficient and uh, by taking our practice outdoors we can lean into that abundance and there have been many occasions when I have not really known what to do with a group or a client and have really just stepped back and thought, I'll just get let this place do its thing. This is Three People in Your Head, a podcast about getting the best out of yourself and others. Co-hosted by Matt Taylor and myself, John Fleming. In this two-part episode, we discuss a new movement within transactional analysis called EcoTA with Hayley Marshall and Giles Barrow. Hayley is a provisional teaching and supervising transactional analyst in the psychotherapy field. She is also an author and the director of the Centre for Natural Reflection and a passionate advocate and pioneer for therapeutic work outdoors. Giles is a teaching and supervising transactional analyst in the education field an author and has for many years maintained an interest in working outdoors, such as running supervision groups and educational experiences at his small farm in Suffolk. In this episode, we discuss what EcoTA is and how this new approach came about. Hayley, Charles, thank you so much for joining us on Three People in Your Head. Why don't both of you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourselves, your roles, responsibilities, that kind of thing. Giles has done this before. Shall I go first, Hayley? Yep, go for it. So I'm Giles Barrow, and as Matt said, I've done a couple of these podcasts in the past, so people may be aware that I'm an educator. I'm based over in East Anglia, here in the UK, and in terms of my TA role, I'm a, a TSTA in the educational field. I'm Hayley Marshall, and unlike Giles, I've not done this before. This is my first ever podcast, Mm. momentous for me, and I'm a PTSTA psychotherapist. I'm based in the Peak District in the UK, and yeah, most of my practice is, is based out here, so that's me. Great, and we've invited you on the podcast today to talk about this new field of TA, which was covered in one of our previous panel discussions a little bit, which is eco-TA. We've got the four main fields which we've talked about and we've got podcasts on those already, but we've not had one dedicated to this new movement, if you like. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, what it is, what it's about, and maybe where it originated, how it came to be. For me, it was a very specific moment when this got crystallised. I was um, at the Byrne Institute and there was a big meeting with all of the training groups that weekend who were present. And one of the themes at that time, this is pre-COVID, one of the items on the agenda was online counselling. And it was generating quite a, a big discussion around the use of technology. and 
I don't know what happened for me in that process, but I felt quite a strong sort of uh, opposition to it. And there was a, a great deal of discussion about the detail of what programs to use and protocols and so on. And I, I was feeling a little bit, not isolated as such, but I could feel myself withdrawing from it. Yeah. And so as I felt myself do that, I came back in by saying, I wonder if anyone would be interested in here in looking at ecological aspects of, of transactional analysis or of our practice. In other words, you know, somehow getting out of the, if like the confines as I was seeing them around this online stuff. Now, I mean, of course, I'd eat my words now. And I think someone said they'd be interested in that. And I said, well, I'd be interested in looking at running something, but it would have to be with Haley. And there were two reasons for that. One was I was, I was suddenly very aware that the majority of the group were clinicians and I'm an educator. Yeah. And I was also aware of Haley and that she's unique, particularly in relation to, to just having years of experience of taking work outdoors in terms right. of clinical work. And so um, for me, that's how this became crystallized. Then the idea of an ECOTA was put together as a course, as you may well know, um, yeah. last year. So that's Great. kind of very kind of a cheap and cheerful response to that question. <laughs> Hayley, so what about you? How did it emerge for you? Yeah, I like the idea of cheap and cheerful. <laughs> well, for me, like Giles said, I mean, I've been working outside for a long time, about 12 years, a good half of my practicing life. But in terms of the crystallization, which is another great word, I think, I think I was kind of slightly taken by surprise, to be honest, because I think I've been used to just sort of getting on with it on my own on the fringes, to be really frank. <laughs> about it you know I am a bit of a fringe dweller and you know whilst I've had loads of support from the TA community aspects of the TA community in my outdoor work I don't think I'd ever really thought about fully bringing it into the mainstream I think I'd been out in the wilds and just thought well I'll be using TA and I'll be thinking theoretically but kind of just got on with it on my own and I actually approached Giles about something else which was that I, I was wanting some supervision on my teaching for my TSTA. I mean I've been very aware of Giles's work as well, I've read all his articles and stuff. Yeah. So I thought he'll be great, you know, I'll get some great supervision and so I was thinking about that and then I contacted him and then I got an email back that just said basically what about EcoTA and I thought oh yeah Let's do that. So what I want to ask is, what is EcoTA? How do you define it? You know, for me, it's an approach, EcoTA. I mean, it's a sensibility. So it's, it's about providing a frame for understanding, you know, the human and the more, more than human experience. So essentially, in terms of TA, it's widening the circles. Right. TA up till now, this is my experience of it and my reading of it, is that it's very located on the human, understandably. You know, it's yeah. come from the psychological realm. And in terms of what we're interested in doing is definitely widening out into this ecological, uh, environmental domain and yeah. including that in our not only our consideration of you know who we are in the world but also our ways of working so that we work from an ecological space rather than just a, either a psycho particularly a psychological one in, in my case yeah and that's 
you know, that's quite a major shift, I think, for TA. Great. You know, lots involved in it. But that, I mean, that's kind of a short sort of pocket answer from my perspective. I mean, Giles might have more to add in. See, I, when I first heard the term, I thought, oh, is this about looking after the environment? Is this about taking care of what is going on in the planet? And then obviously TA being about who we are as people, I thought it's got to be more about how we're influenced in our context. Can you explain maybe more the kind of thing that you would teach on an eco TA course? Firstly, I think quite a strong response there, Matt, which is that I sort of bridle a bit about the possibility of this being seen as being about the environment and about saving the environment. Yeah. Um, and in that kind of traditional use of the word, being an environmental activist. Yeah. That's not really the prime direction. I yeah. think a number of people who've been attracted to ecological TA happen to be quite active around environmental concerns. Yeah. But I think just to extend a little on what Haley was saying, this is much more about a way of understanding, if you like, existentially, how we are in the world. And the key phrase for me is how we are a part of the world, we are not apart from it. Yeah. I think one of the dangers of environmental activism is that we see ourselves as saving the world, as if we are in a position to save the world. I mean, it's a ridiculous notion that somehow I am apart from the world and therefore come along to save it. Hmm. But it's, it's something out there that requires either my stewardship or my saving or perhaps at worst my exploitation and my consumption. But this isn't what Echo TA is, is really about. It's about coming back from that stance another couple of steps and asking ourselves, what is it like to, if you like, sink back into being part of this world? What okay. happens to us psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, existentially when we do that? So it's okay. primarily about repositioning us, which as Haley's indicating, I think, entails quite a significant shift in our frame of reference as transactional analysts. Yeah, and that's normally all about your transactions with another person. Yeah. yeah. I just want to pick up on something that Giles just said. I just think... Please do. Well, I was just thinking about this. It's interesting, this, isn't it? I was just thinking about the responses to the words, the word eco, I think, as just such an interesting kind of little abbreviation of what people then start to kind of put on to that word. Yes. I think one of the things, I, some of the feedback I've already had, you know, is people saying, well, you know, you're not going to start pathologizing humans, are you? And I, that's just so interesting, you know, because it's like that, again, is not what, it fits with what Giles has just said. That's not what we're emphasizing, you know, making humans bad because right. of what they're doing to the planet. We're definitely coming from a systemic perspective on this it's like you know we're thinking about systems and how they operate together and and seeing ourselves as being among and what that means you know once you start to view yourself and experience yourself as as Giles says a part of rather than apart from you know we definitely have overlaps I think into the green movement and the eco psychology world and you know, once you go outside, basically, and get into the ecological, you meet some very interesting people and have wonderful conversations, you know, which is yeah. 
Anyway, sorry, I'm I'm going. No, not at all. No, that's, that's okay. Really I wanted valuable. to ask something um, because you would describe TA as a social psychology, or at least that's the the term that I feel suits it best. So I'm wondering: is the proposition of eco TA looking to challenge that TA will be a social psychology long term? Are you looking to move it into the realm of it being an eco psychology, or is there such a thing as a socio eco psychology or an eco social psychology? <laughs> I, I'm just thinking at a very high level, like here, is it is this yeah a, a challenge to TA remaining a social psychology? Well, I think it is myself. I definitely think it is. I think we're moving it into the into an ecological psychology, and that fits with I think what I've just said about seeing ourselves as a part of and it's not just about the human we are definitely amongst other beings and you know i'm aware even as i start to use those kinds of words you know that in conversation with some people you start to kind of get responses and feel like you're losing people so the way we navigate these edges as we make these shifts is just going to be so interesting but mm. i think just as a direct response to your question i think it's an ecological psychology and sometimes the word psychology doesn't feel quite right either, but I don't know whether you've got thoughts on that, Giles. <laughs> yeah, I feel, the, I feel a bit stymied about that word, but I also think we're going to be dancing around here because I'm still aware of the back, you know, what's the background question as well, the backdrop. Yeah. I think part of our purpose, if you like, we've got a political purpose here with a small p, is to, uh, to use that phrase, we want a future-proof transactional analysis. I think the idea of any notion of social psychology is time limited now. And what we're wanting to do partly here is to prepare us for what's already around. I mean, we're, we're playing catch up a little bit within the TA community because there are large swathes of psychological movements that are already tapping into, you know, ecotherapy, eco, eco psychology, holistic education, it's not very present within the TA community. Mm. So there is something about future-proofing or making more sustainable here. So that's a more kind of robust response yeah. to the idea of social psychology. Mm. Right. Phrase, I should say. Mm. Okay. And so what's the kind of stuff that you teach on the Eco-TA course then that would be different? Who goes first on this one? I can see the editing is going to be you know, cutting out these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't worry. We've not answered your last question either. That's what I'm thinking, That's, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay, ignore that then. Um, let's go back to the backstory then. So tell me more about the backstory. Shall I go? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was John who interrupted that, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I, I think I'm, I managed to interrupt myself. Which, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, for me, I think about 12 years into being a psychotherapist, lots of my outdoor trainees have heard this story <laughs> but I, I just it sort of felt like I woke up one morning it was one of those sort of stories really and just thought I can't sit in this chair for the rest of my working life because I think I will actually go mad <laughs> and it felt like a re very real thing it's like I've got to keep I think for me it was that I wasn't moving around yeah that was actually one of the main motivators it's like I cannot sit still that was number one. Number two, I was working with a lot of very long-term clients, many of whom I felt both of us were running aground in the therapy and not able to really access what I would describe as kind of deeper 
material through the mm. verbal. Yeah. And, you know, you could say, well, why didn't I just go off and do a bodywork course, you know, which that would be one route. But I was passionate about the outdoors and I was a very, very keen walker. You know, I know the hills around here really well because I've been out solo walking all over, over all of them, really. So there's plenty of scope here. And as ever with therapists, we like to go digging around in our past. And there's plenty of good juicy seeds in my past for actually ending up doing this. I, I was brought up on a farm. I had a quite complicated relationship with my farming father. And there's lots of things located for me in the, in the outdoors. I then thought I've got to start looking for something that might meet these varying channels really in me. Hmm. And I went on the internet and found something called a wilderness immersion up on Sky. And I thought I've got to go and do that. Right. So <laughs> just, I just drove, you know, nine hours and met a load of people in a car park that I'd never met before. And we just set off on this journey to a clearance village in, on Sky via kayak. I'd never been in a kayak in my life. <laughs> it was just a total, you know, it was a rite of passage, you know, yeah, and we yeah. use that as a structure in our work. And it's like I left, I left the known behind and I headed off out quite literally. And it was absolutely life-changing. I mean, it was just wonderful. And the group process came alive as we floundered our way around the coastland and we processed what was happening in the group, you know, around a campfire and people got majorly into their deepest, including me, deepest material. And it was worked through with the container of the group, but also the landscape. So the people facilitating had, you know, some idea of what they were doing, which was good. I mean, there's some interesting edges around contracting and things like that, but there were a lot of <laughs> experienced therapists in the group yeah and yeah and I just came away and I thought this is what I'm going to do this has got tremendous potential for therapy was what I thought mm. actually and for me it just brought me alive and I you know I've just not been the same since wow um, great it was wow it was a wow moment for me a wow yeah. five days or whatever it was we did and um you know I hooked up with someone in uh that was also really interested in developing therapy outdoors because it was, although there were some people doing it, there certainly didn't seem to be anyone in the TA world doing it at that point. Yeah. Um, and it was fairly embryonic in this country as a thing. You know, it was lots of people doing kind of ecotherapy type stuff, mixtures of sort of shamanic practices, and but not much really focused on, well, what would happen to therapy if you took it outside and started to include this other really important domain in the process. And, you know, I can feel it now as I'm talking to you. It's just, I'm still wildly excited about it. Yeah, I get that sense. Yeah, it's just like it hasn't dampened. It's been 12 years and I still can't get over it. <laughs> I, I'm being drawn in completely, thinking about, okay, what can I do now? <laughs> practice, go out for a country walk. Excellent. Okay. okay. So, Giles, what about you, your backstory? Well, I'm quite impacted by hearing Hayley tell it like she's just done because it feels like it's the first time I'm hearing it or it, in some respects it's the first time I've heard it like that before it's touched something in me and I, I tell this differently than how I thought I was I notice now when I track back I think I've never been any doubt that I was born free and I've noticed over my life where there have been any kind of transgressions into my freedom I have crept away um, I have snuck back 
And where I've snuck back to is the margins. And the margins, as I look back now, the margins have always involved going outdoors. Mm. And I've just been really clarifying that for myself. As a little boy, as a, a young man, I would feel myself encroached upon and as a way of avoiding that or a way of retaining my freedom, it would be outside. So unlike, say, Haley, where she finds herself in that kind of gloomy box of a room, I don't think I got to that point. I could sniff that a mile away and would move to the margins. I mean, it's an ingenious strategy. The downside is I know that I've become too familiar with the margins. You know, some of the language that we might use at times, you can see people beginning to think, oh my goodness, they're going to talk about unicorns next or something like that. <laughs> and, and that's the risk of having retreated to, be, uh, to retain one's freedom at the margins. And when I look back as a young man, I was born and raised in South London, but I was involved in ways that got me out into the countryside as a young teacher I noticed that I had a tendency to work with young people who are very disaffected or at risk of exclusion. And I noticed increasingly as I look back how many of my lessons would involve getting out the classroom, out onto the playing field, I don't know, doing history reenactments out in the playground, stuff like that. And noticing that it wasn't just me that was experienced freedom outside. There was something I noticed with the young people as well. And then when I got into the more specialist work in off-site provision, I found that it was only in the outdoors that these young people were really alive again. They too had to close down and hide, and some of them couldn't hide as well as I could, and that they were consequently really rebellious and disruptive and so on. I, I was much more subtle at that. You know, I was a pain, but I never caused the kind of disruption they did to lead to exclusion and stuff. And I noticed that in the hills, they really became integrated. And so, uh, yeah, there's a whole tradition of experiential learning mm. that people you know, might be familiar with, which invariably involves, you know, head, heart and hands and the outdoors. But I think more recently, and I think this is since leaving London and becoming involved, you know, in small-scale farming, something has shifted in me in terms of, how powerfully I'm understanding what goes on outside now. And uh, the outside isn't simply a pretty backdrop where you do indoor work. Mm. It is, in a sense, a world of its own with an agency of its own that has its way with you. And now having an education experience outside for me, and I'm going to use that phrase again, yeah, there is nothing like letting nature have its way with you to create a powerful educational experience. Now my challenge, and I think this is really pertinent to right now and the work with Haley, to no longer stay at the margins. Right. Is, uh, another phrase, not to make um, a marginal life out of a marginal experience. Given what I've said, you might appreciate it's quite a personal challenge as well as a professional and theoretical challenge as well. I am <laughs> finding myself feeling enlivened by it. As I think back to my childhood and how we would escape, I, I lived on the, the edge of a town, industrial town, and as kids, we'd get on our bikes and we'd just disappear for the day and go and find a stream, a brook, and build dens. And as you talk about the agency of being outside, I thought, wow, yeah. And it's really inspiring that that consideration to bring that on board fully, that is an exciting prospect. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the descriptions of finding freedom and, you know, going out to find all sorts of things, actually, you know, like solace, regulation, escape, retreat. There are just such interesting spaces to be in with people when they've been important spaces to people in there. You know, so we get into the whole realm of script and how people have, you know, have actually used nature. I mean, that's a sort of, in eco-circles, it's an unfashionable way of talking about it, but it's, mm. it's true, you know, it's like human beings have always done that. And it was a huge feature of my childhood was going out and, I mean, I was walking up the farm track when I was two, you know. My fantasy is trying to get away, but I don't know if that was actually <laughs> In the course then, the EcoTA course that you've started, what does that involve? What's the curriculum? I just want to respond to your excitement, Matt. And I, I want to say that in the work of the, the course that we ran with the burn, as people may want to know, halfway through it, COVID struck. And so what began as live in the room switched very, very quickly to online work. And within the first day of doing that online, as lockdown was kind of happening during that workshop, I remember thinking this is the only work worth doing. Really? So when you say it's exciting, for me, it's more core than just exciting. There's nothing else worth doing in this time in this place, on this planet right now. And that's what it felt like then. And mm. it still feels like that for me. It's compelling, I think. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Hayley, do you want to launch into the... Um, <laughs> you have a question, John. Yeah, before we go into the curriculum thing, sorry, I know you're going to have to edit this again, Matt. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. But no worries. I, I'll leave um, <laughs> because of you, you talking about the deep impact, what I'm wondering is, do you or Haley have any stories of working outdoors where you've seen that actually happen, you know, where you're, you're working with someone educationally or therapeutically? I appreciate the sensitivity, Haley, around talking about client confidentiality, which maybe isn't as mm. high for the educational field. But I think people find it really um, useful to connect to, to contextual examples of what the impact of working outdoors with somebody and maybe where you've identified this wouldn't have happened or this wouldn't have come about if we'd stayed inside. Hmm. Yeah, there are lots of examples for me in terms of, I mean, I suppose I could talk in general terms in terms of people connecting on a deeply embodied level with their process live outside i mean that's one of the features of you know outdoor psychotherapy if you like it's just someone starts to live their process but not just with you with the natural world around them depending on where you work i mean some outdoor therapists are working in an urban environments you know so that's still classed as ecological work in my book for me it's more that the process is alive and the person is living it and you are living it with them. So there's lots of implications in terms of counter-transference and you know, getting inside someone's world. Quite literally, you are walking around in it with them. But the additional bit of it, which I don't think happens quite in the same way in a room, because of course you could say, well, that does come alive in the room between you and the client. You know, we talk about this you know, in training and um, the sense that the transference, you know, reveals the core material and all those beautiful. I'm going to have to ask you to just briefly explain what you mean by that, if you could, to what transference and counter-transference is. 
So, I mean, just a very potted description is how past comes alive in the present. So it's like if I'm walking around with you outside, I could begin to place my father's head upon you. And it feels like I'm walking around with my dad outside. And then I then go into some place inside of me that could be that child from, in my case, eons of years ago. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so that's, that's just a very kind of loose description of it. Yeah. Um, so that would come alive in a dialogue in a room um, very often. You know, it's present all the time in some form and is often worked with, particularly um, in relational TA. There's a real yeah. emphasis on working in that matrix. But outside, you've now got this embodied living dimension to that where you are literally walking around in it and at any point, anything can happen. And it's not just what the therapist does. You know, someone else could appear because I work in public spaces. So another person could come up or a dog could appear or a bird will fly down or they'll suddenly get drawn to something in the environment and you start to incorporate that into the relational mix. So what we say in ecological TA is that the relational includes the ecological space. So you've got things that have got their own agency and they're not being dictated by you. They will just enter the therapy. Yeah. How you use that in the work is part of the skill. That's really fascinating. I remember working as a minister of a church my previous life and I remember one minister saying, if you're struggling for conversation, he said, Go for a walk with the, the person that you're supporting. Go for a walk together. It will change everything. Yeah, because you've got the side by side, you know, the fact that you're no longer under that kind of scrutiny. The gaze has shifted very yeah. and out. It's, it's away from the internal so much. It's gone more external. That lifts the relational pressure for many people. Um, and hence, they're more able to stay in contact with their experience very often while still being, to some extent, in contact with you, which in a room, again, we, you know, many of us, I include myself in this, find the intensity of that can be really overwhelming. Yeah. So, you know, many, many clients, I think, you know, will come for therapy that won't come for therapy in a room. Mm. We'll never get them in a room. They're never going to have therapy under those more traditional default circumstances. But outdoors, they can do amazing therapeutic work. You know, they can begin to encounter more of themselves and by themselves. I'm not just meaning internally. You know, it's like there's, there's a sense that some of us is out there. I mean, not to sound too... <laughs> about it. Yeah. And I guess... The self is beyond us. And with the social distancing, you could go for a walk together. Because at the moment, sitting in yeah. a room for any more than a certain length of time. You yeah. can't do that. Yeah, so wow. what's happening mm. now is there's a move from, as therapists are coming offline, they're now reaching for the outdoors. Tell me how to work outside. And that's fine. You know, it's almost like it's therapists working outside. It may not be quite the same as yeah. ecological therapy. But sure, yeah. It's just a different animal. Yeah, I don't want to um, necessarily come up with a case study or, or something, but to just extend a little from what Haley said is educationally, it reminds us of just how abundant the world is. That's the other reason for taking work outdoors. You know, one of the features in our program was to look at being resourced, resource, sorry, I should say. And uh, when we're working indoors, we are really limiting ourselves 
as to where the process is resourced out of, which is you know either out of the therapist's expertise and her process or the transference that we've already spoken about and the history of the individual. You know, there's a shed load more to play with if you go outdoors. And this leads to a more kind of meta perspective piece here, really, is that we work on the basis that this world is enough. It has always been enough. There is more than we could ever need to be sufficient. And uh, by taking our practice outdoors, we can lean into that abundance. And I don't want to come across as being too flippant here, but there have been many occasions when I have not really known what to do with a group or a client and have really just stepped back and thought, I'll just get let this place do its thing. And there's always more there than there is in me to resource a group. And there is always more there than there is in the group to resource the relational dynamic or whatever it is that, that's going on. And so I think that this approach that we're talking about has another dimension to it, which is about encouraging a reframe around scarcity and abundance for me. Okay. And there is something extraordinary about scarcity, about staying indoors. There's something about scare and scarcity about being indoors. Mm. And just to repeat something I said earlier, going outdoors isn't simply to have a prettier backdrop. Some of the walking and talking that we do becomes really enriching because of the capacity for the figurative, the metaphoric, if you like, contribution to our experience. The times where my, you know, I've been maybe doing some supervision and my colleague, it's like the, the world has spoke to them in that moment through the way in which, I don't know, a branch has moved or the appearance of a particular feature or a bend in the water or something or other. Firstly, it could never have happened in a room. But secondly, mm. it could never have happened because of me. So right. there's also the other thing, which I think could be a bit of a challenge, is it puts the practitioner in their proper place. Mm. Which is? A bit of a challenge to the ego. Yeah. You know, your oh. teachers and therapists to some extent can be really seen as that strong parental figure. Yeah. And something which I'm particularly keen on is in terms of attachment, what we cleave to most, the attachment we cleave to most is to that of place, not person. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And it's so interesting, isn't it, that idea of, you know, we go out and we encounter all sorts of different worlds, both within us and outside of us. And they're so rich, you know, the way they all intersect mm. in, in the work that's possible, you know, depending on the practitioner, I think, really. I love the idea of, you know, it puts the practitioner in, in their place because I think it does do something to that relationship. There's been lots of writing about the increased kind of mutuality and reciprocity. But often the people you're working with express it best, you know, when they say, well, I just feel like we're going out into the world together and being out in the world together and seeing what happens and finding out how we're going to deal with whatever happens. You do work in a very emergent, live, process-centered way if you're going to work like this. Mm. Um, and the course that we ran, I mean, I think did demonstrate that, particularly in view of, you know, the COVID situation. I mean, it was jazz, wasn't it, Giles, I think? <laughs> Ad-libbing. Yeah. We were riding the wave. <laughs> yeah, the ECOTA course pushed into the box of Zoom. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. of course that, that felt a most perverse thing to do. Mm. And we felt 
highly compromised by it initially and really resentful about it. Um, how the hell can you do an outdoors course online? But you know, it was extraordinary. And we've decided that doing an online introductory course is the way to do it. Because yeah, what would have happened, uh, yeah, without being too anecdotal, is on that particular workshop when we had to go online, people were going to gather here at the farm. Yeah. And we thought, oh, this would be really wonderful. People can be, uh, you know, really engaging, direct with great, powerful, natural place. And so it was initial, obviously, disappointment that people were going to be sitting in front of their screens. But what happened as a result was that people, I would have loved it if people could have enjoyed my farm. But what I loved more was by the end of the course, people had fallen in love with their own place. Right. That there were a dozen places across the UK that were now being beholden. They were now being attended to and accounted for. That's far more important in terms of eco-TA for more places to be honoured. That could only have come about through the online. So much of the online programme was actually off the screen and in your place. Yeah. Um, and sometimes connected up with other people, but in your place via phone or what have you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because it is our tendency as people, I think, to focus in on whatever's presenting most clearly. We have a thing in the physio clinic. My wife's the lead physio. Is that my dog? I'm going to have to edit out. My wife's the lead physio. And when we have new... (laughs) (laughs) The beagle baying in the background. When young physiotherapists join the team, they tend to have a pattern of when they're examining a new client, if they're presenting with a bad knee, their attention zooms in on the knee and that's it. It's, it's all about the knee. And obviously over the years, most physios start to recognize that you've got to look at all of the anatomy and figure out what's going on that led to things being overloaded in the knee. One of my favorite books is a book called The System's View of Life by uh, Fritjof Kappa and Pierre Luigi Luisi. And it's all about how humans and science have compartmentalized everything. We love medicine, especially. We love to stick everything in a box and then focus in on the box. And it's part of the scientific process, the tradition of that. But this book talks about how everything is a network. We're always part of a system. And every individual part is then networked into this system in a complex way. And to pull something out and examine it, you're no longer seeing the way that it really should work or does actually integrate and work. And I think that's what I'm getting from this, which is really beautiful. Yeah, I think that's a great reference. And I was just trying to pick up on the Zoom word, just as you said it, I just thought, oh, yeah. I don't know why I've not realised this. There's something about what we zoomed in on, you know, John. (laughs) We zoomed in on something. We caught something in the moment, I think, with that shift online where there's something about in the work, I think, it promotes openness. You've got to be open to whatever's going to come your way, ready to receive it. And I think, although I talked about jazz between Giles and I, I think because we've both been doing this for a long time, I think we both share an ability to work with the immediate. And I think something just suddenly opened up, you know, through the Zoom kind of lens that just captured, it was like two children going, oh my God, look at this, this is happening. 
And whilst I think the participants, you know, for, I mean, John probably could say, you could probably say something about this, but there was something about, you know, that sense of groupness that we had to work out a bit and maybe I think got lost to some extent. But the actual connection to the wider group, you know, the non-human group, the more than human group, for me, it was mind-blowing, actually. I just really got hold of something very powerful around what ecological work is going to be, you know, which mm. is about connecting to your local patch. Yeah. What is your relationship with what's just outside your door? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there was a sense when we weren't together physically, for me, I can only speak for me, I don't know if this was the case for other people, that I felt more connected than when we were together physically, um, which was an interesting process of, of what came yeah. up. But yeah. I wanted to touch back off something you said a, a moment ago, Giles, about uh, putting the practitioner in their rightful place. And it made me really think about co-creative TA and how... Um, you know, what is happening between the client and, and the practitioner. In a sense, in EcoTA, it's kind of like a triad almost really, isn't it? It's like the natural world or the ecosystem that you're in actually becomes a legitimate third party equal contributor to the emerging process, which is really interesting because I hadn't thought about it like that before. It's not just that you're in it, it's an actual active contributor and takes a role, if you like, it, it, it's forming a role as part of the process. If I can just build on that a little bit more, John, so you reference co-creative TA, which, you know, for some listeners is where there's a, a sense that between two people, something relationally gets co-created that's quite unique and distinctive in that dynamic. And there's a, a, you know, a whole range of literature and practice that focuses on the, if you like, the magic of what happens there between the, the practitioner and the client. Now, that was introduced by Graham Summers and Keith Tudor, and later, particularly in Tudor's work, and then by others too, there's um, a reference to homonymy. I want to hang around this a little bit because it links with what Matt was sharing earlier about connectedness, is that another feature of ECHO-TA is an assumption that interconnectedness is, is a truth, if you like. It's, it's just the way it is. And uh, within the development of TA theory, we might want to pay even more attention to homonymy as an important trend, if you like, within the human species, but which is no different from the trend that exists in all kind of living and you know, non-human phenomena. Yeah, Matt. You can just explain to our listeners what homonymy is. Yeah, so homonymy is really a way of capturing that tendency to be fully interconnected and to recognise our interconnected predisposition. And in transactional analysis, you know, we have been very clear that autonomy, self-realisation, you know, realising human potential is the, the goal of transactional analysis. But the shadow side of that can be to ignore one's connectedness or indeed dependency on others. And that in a society which very much praises like the individual ambition, of course, when I'm being very successful, I can imagine that somehow I did it by myself. <laughs> and my singularity is profiled. And we may even say, isn't that a wonderful person, a wonderful trainer, a wonderful leader? And in the doing so, split ourselves off from them as well 
And this is typical in a culture that really prizes autonomy. Whereas homonymy reminds us that one's success is inextricably linked to um, the success or not of others. Yeah. No such thing as a self-made man. Or an island or, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, in a very cruel way, it's like none of us are that special. It's like (laughs) we are all very connected and homonymy is is a word that kind of captures that as Mm. an alternative to autonomy. Yeah. I just feel as though that runs across Mm. what you're both saying. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I think the co-creative material in TA is, it certainly supported some of the work I've done in terms of the way I've thought about it. You know, Keith Tudor, you know, when I came back from Sky, he was the first, pretty much the first person I went to and said, I found this thing, I want to do this thing. And he said, well, we better go outside and have supervision then, haven't we? So we went outside in a park in Sheffield and um, instantly he didn't keep track of the time and we ended up at the wrong end of the park and he panicked and realised he had to be back. So we ended up doing supervision on a bus. (laughs) (laughs) Or if that's a first. (laughs) It was a first for me. But I think, again, it's, it's that's a certain kind of mind as well to take something back to. You know, it's like... All oh, right, what's this thing, you know? And I think in TA we do, I think one of the things I feel about a TA world is we do have interesting minds in the TA world, in my experience. And I think this it's just something I'm just kind of playing with right now. You know, there's a sense of actually sharing of minds and finding out these interesting ideas and yeah. where that leads our theory and our, our practice is so important you know mm. why it's important i think that we're doing this you know we've we've kind of lit the touch paper if you like yeah as always if you found anything in today's episode interesting please feel free to reach out you can visit our website which has lots of information and ta resources transactionalanalysispodcast.com You can connect with us on all major platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can email us at threepeopleinyourhead at gmail.com using the number three rather than the word. If you haven't already, please follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a review. Thanks for listening. (music) Thank <music> you.